Thank you so very much uh, for explaining about the ministry and what I do. I appreciate that. It's good to be here this morning with you. Sun is shining, the temperature's warmer, and it's just so nice to be in, in a service of worship. I do want to let you know, uh, you know, Tim showed you my website. I dialogue with people all the time. That's what I do. Um, I talk with a lot of atheists, uh, answering their questions and their misconceptions about Christianity and God and the Bible. I talk with a lot of non-Christians, with former Christians, and I talk a lot with Christians who just are wondering what they still believe now. Christians who are wondering if following God is still worth it. They've heard so many things, they're not sure what to believe, and they are questioning their faith. And so if you're one of those people, or if you know somebody like that, you know, I'd, I'd be glad to talk to you on the website. You go to the Q&A forum and dialogue with me. I also end up answering a lot of questions for Christian people who maybe just don't have access to the kind of information that you want or don't understand some things and you want to talk about the Word of God. So I talk with a lot of Christians, too. I want to be a resource to the church. And talking about being resource to the church, when Tim was on the website and he scrolled down, I sort of have it hidden in the bottom corner. When you scroll down across that black stripe at the bottom and it said Bible notes and commentary, I explained last night, I have all of my Bible notes from my study on the website to be a resource to the church. If you're a church leader or a teacher or if you're a church person, if you're a Christian and you, and you wanna, want some resource, you know, you don't all have libraries of books like your pastor does. And maybe you want to know, you need some information about 1 Samuel 15 or about Romans chapter 8. You can go down there and it'd be a resource to the church. I want to be a resource to the church as well as uh, somebody that that those who are not Christians can talk with. Uh, so I just wanted to let you know about that. With that in mind, today we're going to talk about God's goodness under fire. You may not realize that this is one of the most uh, prevalent questions out there. Why is God so evil? Why is God so immoral? I get some variation of that question. Uh, probably the most, the, most, uh, uh, the most questions I get are about Genesis 1 and about God being evil. If you've been a Christian for a while, you know, you, you may not understand that that's where the questions are, but let me show you some quotes from my website. Maybe if I turned it right side up, it would work. Wasn't God a murderous thug when he brought the great flood and killed the unborn and the children? In Exodus in Egypt, God creates children and then immediately kills them for what their parents have done. In Genesis, God creates people with flaws, then he punishes them when they show their flaws. Throughout the Old Testament, God shows himself to the Jews but is glad to kill people who don't know him, the Canaanites. God is misogynistic. God commands the rape of women. God hates gay people. God commands genocide. God commanded, commended his people, commanded his people to slaughter everybody. 
men, women, children, babies, and animals. And then, of course, what about hell? You see, these are questions I get all the time. In other words, why is your God the most immoral, violent, vicious being there ever could be? If you're not a Christian, what do we got? If you're not a Christian who has had these conversations, some of these questions may offend your sensibilities. But this is the accusation is one of the most uh, common questions I get and among some of the most prominent thoughts of non-Christians. The dignity and morality of God, the goodness of God, is under attack today from a wide variety of sources. Um, and as Christians, you know, this is one of our cliches. One of our cliches is God is good all the time. And all the time... God is good. And so you can hardly blame people for wondering, well, how can God be good if he kills babies? And how can God be good if he wipes out entire populations? How can God be good if he sends a flood to kill people indiscriminately? How can God be good if he allows slavery? How can God be good if he sends the most people who ever lived, to hell? Good questions. They're really good questions. They're, they're heavy questions. Um, but I'll tell you just from a personal vantage point, you know, if God isn't good, I have no desire to follow him. I have no personal desire to follow an immoral God. Um, so we need to know the truth about this, because I'm sure you're in the same boat. Who, who wants to follow a wicked God? Um, and we need to know what's right and wrong. So sort of my, over, my overarching statement for this morning is, don't fall for confusing misinterpretations. We need to know the word of God. So let's go into a little bit. Don't fall for confusing misinterpretations. We have to look at the definition of goodness. As any attorney will tell you, definitions matter. As any philosopher will tell you, definitions matter. As any scientist will tell you, definitions matter. We need to define good so that we understand if God is good or not. So let's talk about that. Now, I'm going to use the same word indiscriminate that some of my questioners asked. How can God be good if he sends a flood to kill people indiscriminately? I'm going to use the word indiscriminate because I think it's a key word in our understanding. Is a person good? You know, we're working on defining good. Is a person good who indiscriminately treats good and evil as if they're both good? See? And, and you would say, no, that, that's not what good is. Is a person good who doesn't treat evil as evil? And you go, No. Is a person good who does nothing to stop evil? Is a person good who indiscriminately rewards every person the same, no matter what they've done? And I say, of course not. That's not what goodness is. That's what atrocious is. If you want goodness, we have to define goodness. Now, so we would say, now let's think about parenting. I see a lot of parents out in the, in the congregation here. Is a, is a parent 
who disciplines their children. Does that mean they're not good? Of course not. It's our job as parents. We want to raise children who are good and moral and responsible, and discipline is part of that. That's how we define good. A policeman who arrests people, is that policeman not good? Well, he's not being good to the perpetrator. Well, let's define good. What's being good? How about a jury who convicts? Is that good? A jury who convicts guilty people, are they good? What about a judge who sentences the guilty? Is the judge good? You see? No. See, the good person is the one who's discerning. The good person is the one who rewards good and, and disciplines bad. The good person is the one who stops evil whenever you're able. The good person is the person who works for justice. And justice doesn't mean being good to everybody. Justice means what's fair to those who are moral and good and what's fair to those who are immoral and not good. As you saw on the screen, somebody had asked me, wasn't God a murderous thug when he brought the great flood and killed the unborn children? Among other things that I answered that with, I said, before I answer that question, you need to clarify your question by answering some questions for me. You know, what's your perspective on justice? What does justice mean? And what is, what is, how is justice best exercised? Is God not good when he judges wicked people? See, that's, we have to define what good is. We talk about the 10th plague of Egypt. You know, it was on there. God creates babies in Egypt and then kills them for something their parents have done. And so, we have, if we're going to expect God to be good to Egypt and good to Israel, is expecting God to be good to the guilty and to the innocent. We might as well abolish our courts of law if that's what goodness is. If a perpetrator comes into a court and the judge says, I don't care what you've done, you're free to go. Oh, what a good judge. Isn't he a good guy? He let that, he let that guy go because he's so good. See, we wouldn't define goodness that way. Last month there was rioting in Ferguson, Missouri. You all know about it. People in the streets thought that the judge and the jury had not been fair. And they had not been just to condemn what they felt a wrong that had been done. Well, let's think about this. When humans don't punish wrongdoers, that's immoral. But when God does punish wrongdoers, that's immoral? Hey, you know what you're asking there? You want your cake and eat it too. You're asking God to be self-contradictory. Isn't it true that if you're being just, you're also being good? You know, I don't have time this morning to discuss all the ins and outs of Egypt, Canaan, the flood, slavery, misogyny, genocide, and hell. You know, I only have 45 minutes to talk to you. But I do have time to say don't fall for confusing misinterpretations. The good person is the one who calls good good, 
The good person is the one who calls evil, evil. The good person rewards good. The good person punishes evil. The good person fights for the truth. The good person enforces the truth. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now let's go to a few other texts just to keep defining good. Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for the good. Now what it says, what it means by that is things don't harmonize by themselves, but it's God who brings order and purpose with the idea, as Tim was talking about, that he'll make us like Jesus when all is said and done. That's what God is trying to do, make us all like Jesus. So that's what goodness is. God's goodness is that he will shower you with his grace because he wants to make you like Jesus. And you can't have your cake and eat it too. That means some things have to be fought against. For God to be good, some things have to be fought against. In Matthew 19, 17, Jesus was talking with the person that we call the rich young ruler. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? You know there's only one who's good, and that's God. Well, we need to define good. Certainly God is not the only one who's benevolent, because Jesus in another place said, even human fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, right? And so Jesus recognized that, yes, human beings are good. There are lots of human beings are good. But God is the only one who is truly sinless. God is the only one who's, who's perfectly righteous and who can act in perfect righteousness. So when we say God is good, we don't mean that he's an omnibenevolent gummy bear who will give nice things to everybody. That's not the definition of goodness. Who brings just joy and sweetness and gives candy canes to all. That's not goodness. What we mean is that God has the sinlessness to evaluate fairly and the power to bring his divine purposes to their righteous and proper ends. That's what goodness is. And that's a world of difference from thinking that God exists to make you happy and God dare not do anything to anybody that's negative. That's not what goodness is. And we need to make that clear to people. God is sinlessly working out his righteous purposes. That's how we define good. And I would grant that we all define it that way. And hopefully you agree with the things that I've been saying, that goodness calls things good, good, and evil, evil, and tries to put a stop to evil. That's what good means. And so we have to look at the whole picture. Let's look at the whole picture. God has a plan. And his plan, according to John 3, 17, is the redemption of the world. God is determined to redeem the world, that the world through him might be saved. That's what God is about. That's his plan, that's his purpose, that's his intent, that the world through him might be saved. The Bible tells us that it's not God's will that anybody should perish. Now, you may wonder, well then, does that include killing people? Because God kills people. Let me put it this way. God has obligated himself to turn this world around. 
so that as many people as possible can be saved. God has obligated himself to die for the sins of the world so that anybody who comes to him can be redeemed. And to allow evil to just go unchecked is not the way to accomplish that goal. Right? Anybody who's involved in politics knows that you often can't have your cake and eat it too. You have to decide how you're going to define good and how you're going to exercise good. You have to decide maybe what's the greater good between the Pennsylvania pipeline and the environment. Because maybe you can't have both. What's the good thing to do? You may have to decide between trains carrying oil through our communities and not having gas for your automobile. Right? God has a moral plan. And to carry out that moral plan, it only makes sense that decisions have to be made between the cake and eating it. His goal is nothing short of the redemption of the world. It's not a small goal. It's not a small challenge. And it doesn't have a small strategy. He will take whatever necessary moral measures it takes to bring that about. And that I define as good. God has a covenant. He has made promises to preserve a people for himself. And you know there are many aggressors whose goal in life, it seems, is to exterminate those people. In that case, God acts like a mother bear protecting his cubs. Remember the old TV show, The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams? Yeah, you're, you're, you're admitting your age, and I just admitted mine. A big, friendly, pudgy, monstrous bear, right? The bear was friendly and nice, and the bear was fun to watch. But you know what? I've seen enough videos on YouTube to know what happens when somebody comes between a mother bear and her cubs. Have you seen those videos? They're hard to watch. Bears are not friendly people. I guess they're not people at all. <laughs> you want God to be good to everybody. But if somebody's threatening his children, he's not being good to his children if he allows that to happen. That makes sense, doesn't it? All you mamas out there, if somebody attacks your babies, are you going to stand there and watch it and say, well, I'm trying to be good to this murderer here? See, that's not goodness. A mother bear knows when to attack. A mother bear knows when to defend. And the life and times of Grizzly Adams may be friendly, pudgy, yogi bear kind of guy, but you, you mess with the cubs and you face the teeth of mama bear. That's... And that's good. God has obligated himself to preserve a people for himself. And if you choose to be his enemy, then you choose to face Mama Bear, not his friendliness. And if God is truly going to be good, we would expect God to work this way, to protect his children 
we have to look at the whole picture. Evil has to be met with justifiable force. It's why our policemen carry guns. If you were ever in a situation, you'd be awfully glad your cop had a gun and came to your rescue if you were in trouble and needed to be attacked. It's why our military uses, what are they called? Weapons. The president just doesn't stand and say to ISIS, oh, please stop, please. Thank you, that's all I need to say. That's not how you deal with things. Evil is a formidable force, and it needs to be met with justifiable and greater force. That's what goodness is. The greatest generation knows this. Back in 1941 to 1945, the only way to stop the onslaught of evil was with a stronger, moral, justifiable force. That's what good is. You men and women of that generation, you saved the world. You did. And I salute you for it. That's how God can be good and do what he does. Am I making sense to you? We have to look at the object of his goodness. God is being good if he blesses his own. God is being good when he disciplines his children. God is being good when he's mother bear to the rebels and to the wicked. We would expect that of a God who is good. Romans 11.22 says, Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. That's my point. There's a problem in ethics called the trolley problem. It's one of these ethical dilemmas. There's a runaway trolley barreling down the railroad tracks. Ahead on the tracks, there are five people tied up and unable to move. As you can tell, it's a very realistic situation. (laughs) The trolley's headed straight for them. You're standing some distance off in the train yard next to a lever. And if you pull the lever, the trolley will switch to a different set of tracks. However, you notice, oddly enough, and again, you can see how every day this is, there's one person tied to the tracks on the other side. So you obviously have two options. You can do nothing. And the trolley kills the five people in the main track. You can pull the lever, and the trolley will kill the one person on the other track. What is the good choice? Obviously, it's a setup. You're being set up. But this is what moral dilemmas are made of. This is why we go to college. (laughs) 
the object of, but, you know, in, in a sense, in a sense, this is very pertinent. The reason I bring it out, it's very pertinent to our subject at hand. Can God be good to the Israelites and the Canaanites? Can God be good to the Israelites and the Egyptians? Can God be good to the godly and the godless? Can God, you know, what, how do you define goodness? And what is the scope of goodness? And how does goodness work? See, and what is God trying to do in this world? See, the object of God's goodness is those who are his people, who have invited him to change their nature into the nature of Jesus, and who become new creations in him, and who follow him with their lives. They are the objects of God's goodness. Anyone who wishes to become a child of God can be on the receiving end of his goodness. The invitation stands open to all. Turn to Jesus, repent of your sins, and be made known. May be made new. His hand is open to everybody. Whoever will may come. But what hope is there for you if you stand in open rebellion against God? Do you expect to be invited to the party just the same? Do you expect God to be good to you when you attack? See, that's a contradiction. I hope I've pointed that out to you this morning. That's a contradiction, clear and simple. And God doesn't deal in contradictions. If you come against God, God will come against you. He is more than Mother Bear. He is more than the United States military. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I want you to value and follow God. I want you to understand that God is good. Don't fall for the confusing interpretations that people make out of the Bible, twisting and senseless psychologies and philosophies, so much that they get your head all twisted around and you go, I I thought God was good, but I guess now I don't know. Please. Please. The claims of contradiction that make you doubt the goodness of God are exactly what it says. They are contradictory claims, and God does not deal in contradictions. Define goodness properly. Define morality properly. And understand who God is and how he's working and what he's up to in the world. I stand with Psalm 100, verse 5. The Lord is good, and his love endures forever. Let's pray together. God, our Father in heaven, we worship you as our creator, as the one who loves us, our redeemer, the one who sent your son to die for us, the one who knows good and evil, the one who rewards good and judges evil. Thank you that you are a God who is faithful, a God who is true, a God who is love, but also a God who is just, a God who knows mercy, and a God who knows grace. Those of us who have benefited from your grace will worship you forever for what you've done for us. 
And if there's anyone here today who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, I invite you today to come to him. Come to the Lord of love. Come to the Lord who is good. He asks you to turn away from your sins and accept the love that he offers and put your life in his hands so that his life becomes your life and your life becomes his. And you can be forgiven, full and free forgiveness by the grace of God. Won't you turn to Jesus today and be a recipient of his goodness and his grace and the salvation of his life so that you too can know abundant life. It's available to all, and he calls to you and invites you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God, we thank you for this time we've had together to celebrate you, to recognize who you are, and to speak your praises. We thank you that you've called us together as your children, as a body, so we can teach each other, encourage each other, help each other, and share your life that you have given us with everybody that we know. In the name of Jesus Christ, holy and righteous, we pray. Amen.